Change starts today. Here's the deal though, change is hard. That's what I want to talk about today. We're moving towards the end of this time and I want to encourage, really me, but I want to encourage you, don't give it up when it is hard, expect it to be hard. I was talking to a friend recently who's part of the fellowship of the withered hand and on this journey and he was just saying, why does God make it so hard? I want to be truthful, that's good. I want to be loving, that's good. I fight these habits and tendencies inside myself and to try to be different, to try to live different is so stinking hard. Why does it have to be so hard? Why can't I just change? So I want to say a word about uh, why it's good that it's really hard to change and then talk about the four great gifts that God has given to you and to me. Um, here's why it's a good thing. You are a person. You know, in Etch-A-Sketch, if you remember those old machines, you can draw it and then you could just shake it and it's gone. Human beings have this quality that William James calls plasticity. We hear a lot about neuroplasticity in our day. The idea is something has plasticity if it's weak enough to yield to an influence but strong enough not to yield altogether. If you could change everything about you every day, you would be completely unstable and you could not be a person. It is persons who have the capacity to develop habits in our bodies and, uh, and that forms characters. That's a glorious thing. And you're constructing one of those. That's the main thing you're doing. You're not mostly building a resume. You're not mostly uh, building a portfolio. You are constructing something eternal. That's your glory. Um, but that process is difficult, and it's a good thing that it is. Otherwise, you would not be the miracle that is a person. When I was doing my grad work, there was a social psychologist, Milton Rokich, and he talked about uh, people as a relatively enduring system of beliefs. And he started with beliefs that are at the core of you, what he called primitive beliefs. I know where I live. I know who my family members are. And then the next level out type B beliefs were uh, beliefs about myself. And they might be self-limiting beliefs. Nobody would really like me or I'm not smart or that I am generous. They can be deceptive, but they run real deep. Often we learn them very early on. And then the next level out are authority beliefs. Who do I trust in? And in our day, when we look at not just teachers and parents, but social media and so on, those, that question of who do I believe or the authorities that I can trust, that's a central one. And then um, beyond that are, are things that I believe because those authorities tell me to believe them. And then uh, at the outer level of beliefs that are quite peripheral, these are, he says, like, uh, here's our favorite kind of toilet paper around our house. That could be changed quite easily. The closer you get to those core beliefs and those core values, the more difficult they are to change. They become embedded in our bodies, in our habits, in our ways of seeing and thinking and feeling. And that's a good thing, but it makes change hard. And that's part of why I can't, God can. So I have to cooperate together with him on this. Now, um, two elements for you to know that God has given you that C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, Mere Christianity. One of them is raw material. You have a body, you have an environment, you have an upbringing, you have genes. you got to own your raw material. You have a temperament, but you also have a will. And here's what Lewis writes. Human beings judge one another by their external actions. God judges them by their moral choices. When a neurotic who has a pathological horror of cats forces himself to pick up a cat for some good reason, it's quite possible that in God's eyes... They have shown more courage than a healthy person might have shown 
in winning the Red Cross. When a, when a person has been perverted from his youth and taught that cruelty is the right thing, and that person does some tiny little kindness, or refrains from some cruelty that they might have committed, and thereby maybe risk being stared at by their companions, they may in God's eyes be doing more than you and I would do if we gave up our life for a friend. Is it? Deep understanding of personhood in our raw material. It's well to put this the other way around. Some of us who seem quite nice people, that could be me, may in fact have made so little use of a good heredity and a good upbringing that we are really worse than those whom we regard as fiends. Can we be quite certain that we should have behaved uh, how, of how we would have behaved if we'd been saddled by the psychological outfit and then the bad upbringing and then with the power, say, of Himmler. That is why Christians are told not to judge. We see only the results which a person's choices make out of their raw material. But God does not judge them on the raw material at all, but on what they have done with it. And then Lewis goes on to write this. People often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you. If you don't, I'll do the other thing. I do not think that's the best way of looking at it. I would rather say, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. So you have raw material. I have to own it. It's my story. Um, it's so tempting for me to think I wish I had somebody else's. I wish I had their body. I'll look at my wife's ability to connect with people relationally and how they'll come back from talking with her and say, man, she's a force thinking. I wish I had that kind of personality, but I don't. I'm just me. But then if I wasn't me, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I'm able to do. The world already has one Nancy. It doesn't really need any more of her. Uh, the world needs you. And your raw material is part of the package. And there are blessings in it. There are ways that that has been damaged and dinged because physical creation has fallen and our environment has fallen. But you are not just the product of nature and nurture. You have a choice. And your will is very limited but terribly important. And it can make commitments. And that's what we seek to do together. And it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth every day. The great lie of the evil one is to hide from us the ultimate project that we're about, which is not our finances or our body or our career. Uh, you are creating something eternal. And that is your glory. I want to read a few words from one of Lewis's most wonderful essays, sermons, and it's called The Weight of Glory. In the Old Testament, the word for glory, kabad, carried with it the idea of a weight. Um, Ichabod meant um, without glory. The glory is gone. And we don't see the glory. We don't see it in ourselves. We don't see it in each other, but God does. And the loss of it is unspeakably tragic. 
And it's so possible to miss it because it's just every day in this moment and in this moment, in this moment, just like when you look at the outer world, there's a beauty to it. When you look at those flowers, there's a kind of glory to it. There is a kind of glory in the person that is far deeper. You have a glory, destiny, a weight, and you have a chore. And your chore is not just the development of your own character. That's there. Expect hard. Don't give up. But one more piece to this duty. You have raw material. You have a will. You have a glory. You have a chore. Lewis puts it like this. It may be possible for each of us to think too much of our own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for us to think too often or too deeply about that of our neighbor. So now you think about your neighbor, your roommate, your friend, students, people you work with, people in your family. The load or weight, a burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit, immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. That's the journey. You have been given raw material. This remarkable body, your little kingdom, your little story. Own it, accept it, embrace it, be grateful for it with all of its flaws and pain. You have been given a will. You have choices to make. You are not just a piece of flotsam and jetsam. You are not a pawn. You are not a victim. You're an agent. You're a queen. You are a king. You have a weight of glory. You have been created to shine with the splendor of the sun and to live as a child of God. And then for today, for today, for today, you have a duty. When you look at other people, think about their glory, think about their destiny, think about their possibility, what they might become. Let's help each other move towards the splendor that God had in mind when he created us because change is coming today. Hey, it's Tim. I'm the producer here at Become New. 
I wanted to let you know, if you'd like more resources or teaching from John, you can find it at our website, becomenew.com. Also, if you'd like to receive a text alert or the daily email that goes along with each video, let us know at becomenew.com slash subscribe. Lastly, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. There's a group of us who meet each weekday, Monday through Friday, to pray over requests that are sent in from listeners. And so you can text us your prayer requests at the number 855-888-0444. We'll catch you next time.